Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.44 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 25th of October, 2021. This is episode 497 of Bitcoin. And you're going to get taxed on unrealized capital gains on your liquid assets. That's what Janet Yellen said. She actually said that. I did not have time to clip it. I, I, I wish I had, I, I just, you know, I just didn't, it was, I was going to do that at the head of the show so we could see her little, her little <clears throat> speech that she made on Sunday on some freaking Sunday news program, but it doesn't matter. You would have just found out the exact same thing we all found out. <clears throat> you'll find it out. You either know it now or you'll know it later, but she said, that she wants to tax the unrealized capital gains of the wealthy on their liquid assets. Now, you may be focusing on the unrealized capital gains. Fair enough, totally fair. I don't blame you. I would be like going, what, you know, what? In fact, I was, I was like unrealized capital gains. Now we've heard all this shit before, it's just that the rhetoric is starting to pop up and uh, the more we hear about it from government officials like Janet Yellen, the more we know that they are very serious about doing this. It's no longer conjecture. It's no longer theoretical. It's actually something that they want to do. Now, like I said, you may be focused on the unrealized capital gains part. I'm not. I, I'm focused on the unrealized capital gains on liquid assets. What is that? Is your house a liquid asset? No, no. I can't go. I can't go peel off a piece of my house and go down to the coffee shop and buy coffee with it, can I? No, no. The only reason that I can convert my house into a liquid asset is to sell the house for U.S. dollars. Same goes for a piece of art. Let's say I buy a. Let's say I buy real art, like a Picasso or something, and it appreciates $100 million in, like, let's say, the first year. Well, I can't very well cut off a piece of the Picasso and give it to Janet Yellen to satisfy her greed and her thievery. Now, can I? No. The only way that I can make that asset liquid is to sell it into dollars. So, where are we on this? Honestly, <clears throat> if I did buy a Picasso or if I did sell my house and, and these, these, these assets had appreciated, right, then I would pay a capital gains tax on both of those items as long as they, their asset value increased from the day that I bought it to the day that I sold it. Because I would have turned it into liquid, I would have realized capital gains, and I would be in a liquid format and capital gains tax is something that we've been paying for decades. So here we are. That, you know, I, I don't like taxes. It's taxes theft, but we're here. Somebody please tell me what the hell unrealized capital gains on liquid assets is. Because you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like she wants to tax your savings account. That's exactly what it sounds like to me. Equities are not liquid. Treasury bills, treasury bonds, those are not liquid assets. Your house is not a liquid asset. Your yacht is not a liquid asset. Your Picasso is not a liquid asset. The one liquid asset that I know about, ladies and gentlemen, is cold, hard cash chilling out in your bank or in your mattress. If they, and if they know about it, they want to tax that. Is that what she's saying? Think about the statement. 
She wants to tax unrealized capital gains on your liquid assets. And the third part that I haven't mentioned yet is on the extremely wealthy. So here we go. What is extremely wealthy? Is it somebody with over a million dollars? Is it somebody with over a billion dollars? There was no definition given. There was no, there was no, you know, I mean, give me a bullet point list of what it is that you think is extremely wealthy. Because I have a sneaky suspicion that what you think is extremely wealthy and what I think is extremely wealthy are two very different things. Yes, indeedy. I've been playing this game long enough to know that the chances are real good that what she means is an undefined entity that they can just continually redefine, much like the pigs rewriting the rules on the side of the barn in George Orwell's Animal Farm. If you have not read that book, you need to read it. Okay, so that's the introduction for the show. Let's get into some good news. Mayor Scott Conger, at Mayor Conger on Twitter, now is saying, telling us that our city of Jackson purchasing director has started working on the request for proposals to send out to allow our employees to set up a deferred compensation crypto plan. And then the hashtag comes, it's at hashtag Bitcoin. So I, I, as you know, none of us are really looking forward to crypto shit because it's just a, it's a word that means nothing at this point. But the fact that he hashtag Bitcoin on it lets me, you know, kind of gives me a little bit of, little bit of hope here. So that is he, I think Mayor Conger is talking about letting some of the city of Jackson, Tennessee people purchase Bitcoin with their paychecks, which you can do through Strike, by the way. They've got that if, well, they unrolled it for me. I don't know about if they unrolled it for everybody, but now you can get paid in Bitcoin and you can set, you know, you get 100% of your paycheck in Bitcoin. You can get 100% of your paycheck in cash. You send it all to your strike account and you can set a, you can set a percentage. So if I'm hoping that that's what Mayor Scott Conger is, is about to do. So Scott, <clears throat> thank you for your service, sir. Please do not fall into the trap of Janet Yellen and become some weird asshole. Now, Kyle Murphy or at the Bitcoin bum, that's the underscore Bitcoin underscore bum says, I've promised you all an update, and here it is. We've been working tirelessly to set up Pleb Lab. What is Pleb Lab, you ask? Well, Pleb Lab is where plebs build on Bitcoin. Head on over to pleblab.com. First transmission from Pleb Lab. Let's see what Pleb Lab's got going on over here. Uh, okay, going over to Pleb Lab. First transmission from Pleb Lab. Uh, let's see. Where to even begin? Everyone already knows what's going on in Austin right now. Bitcoin has taken over. Let's start by giving credit where credit is due. Parker Lewis and the team at Unchained Capital are undeniably responsible for the unbelievable growth of the Bitcoin scene. There is no one who has done more to get Bitcoiners to Austin than Parker, and for that, the community will be forever grateful. This is where the Pleb Lab story really begins. Having a brunch of Bitcoiners in a city together is great. Having a brunch of Bitcoiners in a city together, highly organized and active, well, that's legendary. We need Bitcoiners working together, building together, growing together. That is our mission at Pleb Lab. What began as a social club has expanded into something aiming at providing the resources for the development of the remnant. The Bitcoin community is one of the smartest, hardest working, and most passionate groups of people in the entire world. And right now, right here in Austin, we're organizing some of the best and brightest amongst them to collaborate on projects that will forever change the financial landscape of the world. It is our profound pleasure to introduce each and every one of the members working here at Pleb Lab. Don't sleep on these individuals and this team. The revolution has only just begun. And we have a few things here. Um, we in fact have, uh, let's see, what's this one? Doo doo Stacker News is reinventing how news and community is delivered across the world using the Bitcoin network and over Lightning and its founder is Kian. We have, what else do we have? We have Zaprite is part of this project. It's a web app that allows anyone to create beautiful customized invoices that can be paid with Bitcoin, Lightning and Liquid, Tether or credit card 
Uh, its founder is John. Oshi helps local businesses and consumers leverage the Bitcoin network to empower their community. Oshi helps passionate Bitcoiners from all over the world turn their town or city into the next Bitcoin beach. And its founder is Michael. Hosiki is building towards a world where Bitcoin is the global standard for money and proving reserves is secure and easy. Its founder is Sam. Ben of the Bitcoin company is, well, they don't really give a description of that. But Anthony Roning of Impervious is a, Impervious API is a programmatic layer that sits on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network, i.e. Layer 3. Developers can leverage the Impervious API to build, easily build, secure P2P data transmission and worldwide payments into their applications and services. Then we have Voltage. Voltage offers enterprise-grade infrastructure services for Bitcoin build, or rather, services for Bitcoin. Build, deploy, and scale faster with Voltage. Bitcoiner Jamie Stuckert hosts the Bitcoin Blonde in social media of Compass Mining. Uh, Bitcoiner Bitcoin Frankie is creator of Bitcoin Besties. And finally, rounding it out, Bitcoin developer called Super Testnet. Okay. So some of that may not have made sense. That's okay. You know why? Because it's a nascent thing. It's an organic growth, right? And when when things first start popping out of the ground, good luck trying to identify what the species of that plant is. And we have it right here. Not exactly sure what Pleb Lab is. I can guarantee you the people at Pleb Lab don't know what Pleb Lab is either. And they'll probably be the first ones to admit it. But the point is, is that down there in Austin, Austin, Texas, some things are starting to really bubble. The cauldron is starting to really get into a roiling boil down there. And while I wish I had, I lived a lot closer to Austin than I do, because it, for me, is about a six-hour drive. Texas is a big state. Um, I am glad that I live in the panhandle of Texas because I'm closer to the mountains of Colorado, and I don't want to add another six hours to what is already an eight hour trip for me, okay? And that's on a good day, by the way. Normally, if I have the family with me, it's a good anywhere between 10 and 11 hours, depending on how much we, you know, dawdle about Santa Fe and Española and eat lunch and all that kind of stuff. I don't wanna add six hours to it. So it's not because I don't love you guys and I'm not down there with you. It's because I love the mountains more and well, they're, they're well, shit, there you go. So there's Pleb Lab. <clears throat> now, Rhizoma Field School. I'm super excited about this. Uh, this is at Rizoma School, R-I-Z-O-M-A. If you're not following Rizoma School and you're into regenerative agriculture, permaculture, you know, animal husbandry, soils, that type of thing, you need to be following Rhizoma School, at Rhizoma School. <clears throat> oh boy, am I nervous writing this tweet. I have been working on a 12-week homesteading incubator course the past few months, pulling together all the smartest people I know to teach about risk, resilience, and community. It's ready now. Students will draw up a homestead incubator plan that focuses on land, soil, shelter, security, energy, water, food, community, and health. We are asking students to sketch out tentative approaches to each of these areas at the 1, 3, 10, and 100 year timescales. The, co the first cohort of students and instructors is meant to be a pilot for the potential alternative approach to education and network building. The goal for me always is to build relationships that can flourish into something I can't even yet imagine. None of what we are doing here, online education, is particularly new, but my hope is that we are in the right historical moment to build a deep network amongst those early adopters who see the writing on the wall and want to be ready. We have an absolutely stellar set of instructors, people generous and open enough to try this out with us and let the chaos and experimentation of something new emerge. Guest lectures will help us focus on some of the higher level concepts like risk, disaster preparedness, bioregionalism, and approaches to land and community. And they include Normix, Prep for Disasters, Cognizer, CSM4CFS and Dark Optimism. 
guest lecturers who have really gotten their hands dirty on the land and will share their varied perspectives and practical approaches include Jay Rurling, H, oh, oh, Homestead Padre, it looks like, Happy Holistics, Tao Orion, and one of our favorite people, Untapped Growth. That's right, Untapped Growth is going to be part of this whole thing. That's why I'm way super excited. It's not the only reason. I'm glad Rizoma's doing this in the first place, but the fact that Rizoma was able to tap Untapped Growth, eh, that's going to be good for everybody involved in this little this little bucket of rainbows. We are keeping the first cohort small so it doesn't get too unwieldy for us. After we hit our cap, we will make a waiting list. If all goes well, our hope is to offer this course regularly. So please do join us. Now, there's not really, all he's got really is a Google Docs. Okay, there's not really a website for this. Um, But let's see if there's, oh, oh yeah, here we go. If you want to find out about this, you need to write homesteadincubator at gmail.com with questions, okay? That's the only place that I can see that you can, you know, get get a hold of these guys directly. So please do this, homesteadincubator, all one word, at gmail.com. That's homesteadincubator at gmail.com. So there you go. Good for a Rizoma field school. Now, <clears throat> coming out of people who appreciate land and animals and probably really good meat, we have this one by Tyler Durden, the guy who's from Zero Hedge. He's blocked me on Twitter, but be that as it may, I still like Tyler. Beyond Meat implodes after reporting catastrophic third quarter sales, (laughs) confirming yesterday's observation that the market is quick and merciless to punish any and all stocks that miss expectations this quarter. Moments ago, former growth stock Beyond Meat plunged 14%. After reporting preliminary net revenue for third quarter of about 106 million, missing the estimate of 134.3 million by about 30% and a huge disproportionate to the company's prior guidance, which was 120 to $140 million. As Bloomberg notes, while the company's previous third quarter guidance anticipated a sequential decline in net revenues, the deceleration was far larger than anticipated. Oh, poor babies. The company said that multiple factors contributed to the shortfall during the quarter. One, demand was impacted by broader ongoing macro and microeconomic factors, including, among others, the effect of, guess what, COVID-19 Delta variant. Challenges in operations that led to unfulfilled orders. Oh, dude, that's the worst one. Company, oh, and number three, company experienced decrease in retail orders that persisted longer than expected from a Canadian distributor. You know why? Because nobody wants your shit. It's not food. It is not. It's vat meat. And it's not even meat. It's just this protein sludge is what it is. And nobody wants it. You cannot blame the fact that your company sucks ass on people and Delta variants and macroeconomics. Nobody wants to buy your garbage. It doesn't taste good. It has no texture. There's no nutrition. That's why people don't want your shit, okay? So to finish it off, none of this mattered to investors who now see just round after round of excuses from the management team, which will soon be on the fake meat chopping block soon unless it manages to restore some hope that the company is anything but very real dog meat. Yeah, no, there's no, no. Okay, guys, The time for negotiation is over. This is not a negotiation any longer. All right, you've got Janet Yellen that wants to take your shit without even you being able to convert it into a liquid asset, okay? If that's what she actually meant, we we went through all that at the head of the show. Now we got fake meat companies failing because nobody wants it. We, I've, I've just heard that somebody, like some pre, the premier in Victoria, Australia, is uh, like about to get unprecedented power. It's time to start dragging people out in the street, guys. What you do with them after that is your business. But they literally need to physically be removed from their places of power. All right. 
I, I don't know who's going to start it first. It's not going to start with one person. I really do believe that there's something's going to happen and it's just going to cause people to walk out in the street, go find their mayors, their senators, their representatives, their presidents, their premiers, their prime ministers, their bullshit, their bullshit two, their bullshit three, and they're going to drag them out into the street and they're going to have a fucking discussion with these people. And nobody after that will have any reason to cry anymore. This has become a moral imperative. It is no longer something that we can just think about doing. It's no longer something that we fantasize about doing. I think we've gotten to the point where we have a moral and ethical obligation to lift humanity out of the bullshit crap that we've been put into for decades, if not centuries. And finally, with one voice, once and for all, say no. Absolutely not. And if you want to be on the side of the government, that's fine. You can go be on the side of the government. But at one point or another, a large group of humanity is going to stand up and they're going to say, leave us alone. And they're going to do it in such a way that they're going to be left alone. I, I would rather it not begin with violence. I would rather it not be violent at all. And this is why Bitcoin, I truly believe that this is the one way that we have to exit a system and literally disappear without having to change our names, without having to do something drastic, without having to switch countries. We just, we just don't take part in the system anymore. Again, people, this is not a negotiation. We are morally and ethically at this point kind of bound to do this for humanity because the leaders that we've allowed in are not, they're not doing it. They're not lifting anybody out of poverty. They're doing the opposite. So be aware, be, be aware people. Now WorldCoin, woohoo, yeah, WorldCoin. Do not please think that this is the first time that you've heard about WorldCoin, it's not. This has been, I've heard about this, this is the third separate time that I've heard about WorldCoin. You know why this one caught fire? Because they started talking about WorldCoin right around Bitcoin's all-time high. This is the only way that Sam Altman, who's starting this whole thing with a whole bunch of other people, can get this shit to catch fire itself from a marketing perspective is, again, to coattail on Bitcoin. Because nobody gave a shit about this the first time. It was completely laughed, you know, laughed at and, and forgotten about within days the second time it was announced. But this time, this time it's caught fire. So what the fuck is WorldCoin? Well, he, Sam Altman is introducing WorldCoin, a new cryptocurrency that will be distributed fairly to as many people as possible. Details about how it works at WorldCoin.org. Okay, we're not going to read that one. What we are going to read is the decrypt write-up from Emily Tonnelly. <clears throat> Edward Snowden slams Sam Altman's world coin. Don't catalog eyeballs. <laughs> An issue with cyber safety and data leak spread, or as issues spread, a much-hyped new crypto project from Y Combinator founder Sam Altman aims to mitigate scams and breaches caused by bots and bad actors by scanning your eyeballs and awarding you crypto. You should just stop right there, honestly. WorldCoin, which already touts a $1 billion valuation, aims to onboard more people into crypto by doling out free coins to anyone who scans their eyes on a device called the Orb that will convert an image of your eyes into short numeric code to check whether you already have WorldCoins. Uh, quote, to rapidly get its new currency into the hands of as many people as possible, the project says on its website, WorldCoin will allow everyone to claim a free share of it. But privacy advocate Edward Snowden, the man famous for leaking government documents, has a lot of issues with the concept. Snowden took to Twitter to tell his 5 million followers his issues with WorldCoin, the use of the human body for crypto. Mm -hmm. Quote, this looks like it produces a global hash database of people's iris scans, for fairness, and waves away the implications of saying we deleted the scans, Snowden tweeted. 
Indeed, WorldCoin says that the original image of each user's eyes will not need to be stored or uploaded, but Snowden points out you save the hashes produced by the scans. Hashes that match future scans don't catalog eyeballs. Snowden continued in his thread, we use ZK proofs. Clever, clever, still bad. The human body is not a ticket punch. Amid media coverage of WorldCoin, many on crypto Twitter have lampooned the concept including predicting an inevitable data leak that could result in biometric information being leaked and sold around the internet. Others have pointed out there's no guarantee the data will not get into the hands of third parties. WorldCoin will have to hope the promise of free crypto is enough to dissuade those concerns. These motherfuckers are evil. They're evil. They're evil people. And honestly, I just hope they all burn in hell. Now that said, check this shit out. Think about it. They're, the way WorldCoin is working is that there's 10 billion minted coins. Supposedly, that's all there ever is. Okay, so there's a little over 7 billion people on the planet. There's 10 billion coin. Oh, they're keeping 20% of that coin to themselves for quote-unquote development. Yeah, we know how that goes, right? No, it's not going to be going for development. All right, now, here's another thing. That leaves about 8 billion coin to satisfy like the the over 7 you know 7 billion people that are on the planet all right so here's what you have to do you, you go to you go find somebody with one of these orbs and you scan your irises and that basically unlocks a wallet and that wallet will have world coin either already in in it or deposited to it Okay, so there's two things here that are already weird. Okay, first of all, there's a lot of uh, YouTube videos and other videos of how the marketing of WorldCoin works. And the way that you go find somebody with this orb is very much not a question. It's the people with the orb coming to find you, much like an Amway product per, uh, pusher right it's mlm it's 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 mid-level marketing man or multi-level marketing however you want to actually put it but it's like herbalife or amway or any of these things you buy the orb and and they they're selling you a business i shit you not this is what their videos are saying they're selling you a business the business is the orb and you just walk around with the orb and you get people to scan their irises are you fucking kidding me this is ridiculous. I mean, is it iris scan and a retinal scan? Is it just the iris? I mean, who knows? But I mean, it's something to do with biometrics. And like Snowden says, even if you delete all the data, the hash is still there. And that hash is basically a snapshot of your eye because it can be used in the future to say, yep, we've taken another shot of this guy's eye. He's walking around. We can, we're buying all the CCTV data and there he is there and, and he's matched this hash. We know he's a WorldCoin user. Okay, so throw all that to the side. Okay, just, that's bad, all right? That's terrible, it's awful, yes, we know. Throw that to the side, check this one out. How am I gonna use WorldCoin? I mean, okay, let's say that I'm dumb enough to scan my irises and retinas and all that kind of stuff, and, and I've got my free WorldCoin. Now I want to go spend my WorldCoin, where? where? Where do, where, where do I go spend it? Okay, let's say that you go, well, David, that's just stupid. I, I, I have, I'm going to open up a coffee shop and I'm going to take WorldCoin. Okay, that's, that's good. Now, now let's say that I'm at a farmer's market and somebody walks up to me and says, I, I want to pay you in WorldCoin. I, as the vendor, have never scanned my irises. Like I, I didn't do that. I had multiple chances to, but I said, you know what? I just, I'd rather just Bitcoin. So I never got my iris scanned. So I don't have a WorldCoin wallet. That person cannot do business with me at the farmer's market because I don't have a WorldCoin wallet. You see how insidious this is? I would have, like for me to do business with somebody with WorldCoin, I would actually have to go have a WorldCoin wallet. And I cannot get a WorldCoin wallet without, you guessed it, scanning my shit. No. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, madams and messieurs, please, for the love of God in all that is holy, 
for, for the love of your soul and the safekeeping of your integrity, do not, do not, do not even attempt to play around with WorldCoin. I, I, I quipped the other day that I can't wait to sell my WorldCoin for, for Bitcoin. And that's when somebody, hey, you know, reminder, you have to scan your irises to get the wallet. I forgot, right? So yeah, I can't even, I, I'm not even gonna, that's, no, that's off the table. I'm not scanning my eyeballs, Sam Altman. I'm not going to deal in WorldCoin. If you want to do business with me in the future, you're gonna have to do it in Bitcoin. I will not accept your fucking WorldCoin. It's not gonna happen, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, baby, flammable liquids are on fire. $84.52 for West Texas Intermediate. That is after a 1% shoot to the upside. Brent North Sea is up three quarters of a point to $86.18 a barrel. Natural gas is doing its thing. Five and one third points to the upside. It is now $5.56 to purchase 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gasoline up a point. That's going to hurt. Oh, my God. That's going to hurt right now. The other energy prices, the Nat Gas, the Brent, and the West Texas Intermediate, that's going to hurt come winter. But gasoline is at $2.50. That means that guys on the West Coast, it would not surprise me if you're going to be looking this morning at paying $8 a gallon for gas if not $8.10. Hopefully that's not the case. I cannot imagine paying 20 bucks for two and one third gallons of gas. That just, oh, this is gonna, oh, winter is gonna be weird, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you might wanna start prepping. Um, and like, okay, let's, let's just take a, a, a little bit of an aside. Um, write down the food that you eat all the time whether it's snacks or main meals or, or whatever, okay? Write that down on a piece of paper and, and, and try to figure out what it is that you're actually consuming. Do not go stock up on food and just buy shit you don't eat. That's just dumb. Figure out what it is you eat. Over the next few grocery uh, trips to the store, the stuff that you need to buy that you're going to eat unless it's perishable. Okay, we're talking about dry goods, possibly canned goods or something that you can store, okay? At, like either in a freezer or uh, at room temperature. Buy extra of it, okay? And then find a place to, to put it, either in a closet or basement if you got it, somewhere, all right? You might consider getting a little bit of extra toilet paper because you know what happened last year, okay? Never mind. We'll, we'll just, I'm just saying, if you're going to start like, getting a little bit of extra, make sure you're getting a little bit of extra every week that you go to the store and that it's things that you'll actually eat. And you know that you'll eat it because it's what you already are eating. That's just a tip here. Now, metals, shiny metal rocks, pretty much to the upside. Uh, gold is up one third of a point to $1,801. Silver is up 0.11% to $2,450. Platinum is down 0.72%. Copper is up a half and palladium is up almost a full point. Uh, most of the uh, agricultural futures are up to the upside. Wheat is up almost a full point. Soybean up a half. Corn also up almost a half and cotton up a little bit more than a half, 0.68% to the upside. Dow futures is going to come in basically sideways this morning, 0.02% to the upside. S&P futures, likewise, 0.07% up, and NASDAQ futures, 0.12% up, while the S&P mini is the only one down at 0.09% to the downside. Let's talk about real money at $62,648.64, ladies and gentlemen. 
233,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 10,000 transactions on average per hour, but only 405,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That is just under 17,000 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.73 BTC and a median transaction value of 0 .0, I'm sorry, 0 0.01 BTC or $657. Wow, that's actually that's actually pretty low. Block times are also low. 8 minutes and 25 seconds, so they're running at a pretty fair clip. 0 0.062 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 10 and 3 quarters of a BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period and with a 5.8% uh, uh, uh no, sorry, 5.8% hash rate rise, we are at 154.8 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator is entirely too high at 26.3 United States pennies, and that would be dog coin. But there are 676 transactions waiting on one block to clear in Bitcoin transaction land. We have $1.18 trillion in market cap, which is just over 10% of gold's total market cap. And if you so choose, you may buy 34.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,853,772.75 of, and 3,130.9 of those are in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $196.8 million. 17,182 nodes running 77,706 payment channels. 74.5% of all of that is being run over the Tor network, which means 2,331.2 BTC are in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, being run over 10,695 nodes that we can see. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We'll start with this one. Robinhood crypto wallet waitlist tops 1 million customers, says the CEO of Robinhood. Mm -hmm. Let's find out how they're going to spin this to the good side. The waitlist for Robinhood's recently announced crypto wallet now has more than 1 million customers, the company's CEO said on Thursday, demonstrating cryptocurrencies increasing importance to the trading app. Quote, we're very proud of our cryptocurrency platform and giving people more utility with the coins that they have, Robin CEO or Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev said during CNBC's Disruptor 50 Summit on Thursday. Quote, we rolled out our wallet's wait list. A lot of people have been asking for the ability to send and receive cryptocurrencies, transfer them to hardware wallets, transfer them to the platform to consolidate, and the crypto wallet wait list is well over a million people now. Last month, Robinhood announced it was testing a crypto wallet feature. The wallet will allow investors to trade, send, and receive digital currencies as well as move them in and out of the Robinhood app. Robinhood currently offers seven digital coins, including Bitcoin. You can have a wallet. You can send people cryptocurrencies from that wallet to their wallet. There are certain advantages that are in the technology that make it kind of a global and accessible by default, and that makes it very interesting. End quote. <laughs> I'm not even going to read the rest of this shit because essentially what's going on here is that it's just as possible that these people are nervous about getting their coins off of Robinhood than they are about trading with each other and putting coins back onto Robinhood. Now, how does this, is there a way that this can attach to something that we've just talked, spoken about? Yes, there is. Worldcoin. Can you imagine? If you had no choice but to do an iris scan to get coins that you stupidly bought on a custodial platform that you had no way of getting off, and the only way you're going to be able to get those coins off that custodial platform is to scan your irises. I fully believe that that is what's going to happen to you if you are not terribly careful moving forward into the future. If there is any way 
that you have, if there's any coins that you have on exchanges right now and you can get them off, get them off. Get them off now. Because at one point or another, I have a sneaky suspicion that that world coin model is going to be morphed into something that is like a shotgun KYC. Get your shit off the exchanges now. Buy an extra hardware wallet. Buy two. I don't know what to tell you here, but get your shit off. We are going to cross a Rubicon soon where if your coins are on exchanges, the only way that you will be able to get them off of those platforms is to do some kind of biometric scanning, whether it's your iris, whether it's your retina, your pulse, an EEG, I don't fucking know. Something is going to happen where the only way that you can get access to those monies, right, is to divulge the most private of information that you will ever possess. Don't do it. You are defiling your human temple if you do. I will say no more about that. Just get your shit off, bro. COVID-19 is accelerating Asia's digital future of CBDCs and Bitcoin. As says Flex Yang from Bitcoin Magazine, whether or not you'd believe inflation could reach World War II levels, it's clear that the global economy post-COVID-19 looks uncertain. A chasm is growing between the developed and developing markets fueled by uneven vaccination rates and gross domestic product growth. Who the fuck would have ever thought you'd see those two things in the same sentence? This, we live in clown world. I swear to God, central bank digital currencies are set to be a key factor that will accelerate the world economy fit for the digital age, ushering in a digitally connected economy unlike anything we've ever seen before. Despite inflation being slow on the rise, depressed economies like the U.S. are accelerating in their adoption of new economic policies like modern monetary theory, which in a nutshell enables governments <coughs> or gobblerments to print money at will. Basically, wealthier governments aren't required to be reliant on taxes or borrowing when it comes to spending as they're able to print money on demand. The stellar rise of MMT, particularly advocated by an economy which as much with as much impact as the U.S., sends ripple effects that not only affect the United States but other economies as well. In Asia, governments, particularly in mid- and small-sized economies, are waking up to the potential power and influence that CBDCs have thanks to their latest understanding of modern monetary theory. CBDCs draw influence from Bitcoin, and Bitcoin itself has tr transformed the public's perception about money and alternative asset investments. In fact, many today consider it a hedge for inflation. Recently, crypto companies are increasingly coming under scrutiny with government action ramping up as the public's interest in crypto has made way for governments that are beginning to recognize the plurality of Bitcoin's coexistence with fiat currencies. In fact, COVID-19 has accelerated an urgency to strike a balance on how this coexistence might look. Governments are looking for ways to employ an effective monetary policy that gives them more rights with less reliance on the dollar for trade. As CBDCs hold a one-to-one -one value to fiat currency, they not only hold the benefits of faster, but also more secure transactions thanks to the use of, oh God, here it comes, blockchain technology. And for the public, it's the ideal vehicle to boost consumption and combat money laundering while enabling a more effective tax collection policy. China is leading this development with its digital remembi, and it aims to improve financial inclusion and risk control. In Southeast Asia, we're also witnessing the emergence of a similar train of thought amongst governments. Cambodia's Bakong, a blockchain payment system, is being devised as its own CBDC with the goal of helping central bankers lower the cost of international remittances. I don't think bankers really give a shit. I don't, I don't think when a central banker wakes up and gets out of bed, I, I doubt that the very first thing on their mind is, geez, how can I lower the cost of remittances? <laughs> just if you buying this, I got bridges all over the world to sell you, man. And this distributed technology ledger system is a model that even the chief financial or fintech officer at the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Sopendu Mahanti, believes will benefit international payment schemes as well. Well, let's put it this way. <clears throat> Most wealthy nations' monetary policies have remained accommodative with quantitative easing continuing in the backdrop. 
As statistics have shown that the United States Federal Reserve printed $2.3 trillion in 2020 to combat COVID-19. Admittedly, the stimulus was a, well, for a noble cause, it would keep families and communities afloat. However, however, how we define the success of this program isn't black and white with unintended effects. According to a survey by Pew Research, Pew Pew, about one in five or 21% say that they will save a majority of the money and 14 say that they will use it to pay off debt. The remaining 10% say they will use it for something else. Flush with cash, stimulus money was hitting Wall Street close to home with the hyper-enthusiasm of buying stocks like GameStop and altcoins like Dogecoin. This exposed the already fragile financial system and raised valid questions about the efficacy of government aid programs along with its impact on MMT in the long run. Not to mention, the United States policy has triggered an unintended ripple effect that has had drastic consequences for emerging Asian markets, particularly in Southeast Asia, with the stimulus fueling a strengthening influence of the dollar, emerging markets risk weakened currencies against the greenback and falling deeper into debt. In situations like these where the CBDC can come into the picture, in the case of helping those in need with precision, CBDC-based stimulus can ensure that the spending of the stimulus money is aligned with its original purpose, which means families and communities have access to basic necessities. This is a laugh riot, dude. And the progress of these programs can be measured in real time. In short, CBDC can become a viable option for the government to subsidize an industry or community with higher precision, transparency, and effectiveness. You believe this shit? What the fuck is going on? Why did Bitcoin Magazine put this in here? I don't know. Let's find out. Maybe there's a gotcha at the very end. With increasing scrutiny from the world, the perception that the U.S. is losing its fiscal responsibility is growing, according to the Council on Foreign Relations. The Council argues that investors could lose confidence in Washington's ability to right its financial ship and become unwilling to finance U.S. borrowing without much higher interest rates. This perception endangers the dollar's global acceptance and, of course, means self-reliance, especially in the developing world, is more important than ever. So how does Bitcoin come to play a role in all of this? On a more extreme yet seemingly realistic alternative reality, considering the disastrous outcomes like what we've seen in Venezuela when its economy experienced hyperinflation in May of 2019, Bitcoin tends to become the de facto tool to encounter sovereign credit risk, and governments themselves recognize it. The El Salvadoran government in 2021 recognized Bitcoin as its legal tender. Other countries, of course, have taken a more centralized strategy by deploying their own CBDC. But regardless of the currency used, the motives are one of the same. Whether it's Bitcoin or a government-backed digital currency, both offer tremendous value, albeit in different ways, to the digital economy, with more ways yet to be discovered. As signs of an economic recovery make way for inflation, we're sitting closer and closer to the edge and could tip over into a global financial crisis, and I'm not the only one concerned. Satyat Das from MarketWatch poignantly draws the conclusion that where supply constraints are reached, excessive deficit financed spending would result in inflation, higher rates, and a currency correction. So, all it takes is for the Federal Reserve to increase the interest rate. By then, the dominoes in Asia, not just in the U.S. or the West, inevitably will topple. So there's no surprise that those developing countries have the best position to lead the charge toward a new digital currency and offset the risk. Whether the solution is a national CBDC or the adoption of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin may be up to a regional decision, but... What I'm certain about is that the digital economy is inevitable. It's just a matter of when. All right. So there was a lot of a lot of brown nosing to CBDCs on that. So let's let's just be clear. There is nothing good that will come from a CBDC. It may look like it does, but we know better. All it is is another fiat currency. It's just digital. And guess what? Most of fiat currency is digital already anyway. So don't buy that shit. Just buy Bitcoin. Walmart deploys 200 Bitcoin ATMs in its stores. Now there's a kind of a gotcha. This is basically they're just putting Coinstar stuff, but still. Yeah. I mean, we let's see if there's anything else in here. Bitcoin Magazines, Nomsios has it. 
Walmart started a pilot program to bring Bitcoin purchasing capabilities to 200 Coinstar kiosks in some of the retailers' U.S. stores, Bloomberg reported. The initiative is part of a broader cooperation between Coinstar, the maker of machines that allows customers to exchange coins for paper bills or gift cards, and cash to Bitcoin exchange CoinMe to offer BTC at more than 8,000 kiosks in the United States. Quote, Bitcoin ATMs have been around for a while, including in many supermarkets. Sam Doctor, chief strategy officer and head of research at cryptocurrency brokerage firm Bitoda, told Bloomberg, quote, Walmart expands Bitcoin access to more people, though, and gives it further legitimacy among skeptics should they roll it out beyond an initial pilot. The initiative was first reported by Coindesk, which tested the service. Customers purchasing BTC insert dollar bills into the Coinstar kiosks and receive a voucher, which can be redeemed for Bitcoin minus a 4% fee charged by the machine. But customers need to set up a CoinMe account and pass a background check to redeem the voucher. Quote, Coinstar, in partnership with CoinMe, has launched a pilot that allows its customers to use cash to purchase Bitcoin. There are 200 Coinstar kiosks located inside Walmart stores across the United States that are part of this pilot. Walmart Communications Director Molly Blackman or Blakeman told Coindesk, quote, it is an expensive way to buy Bitcoin, but lowers the barriers to entry for first-time buyers doctor added i don't know that's kind of an interesting way to end that off but it is what it is so yeah these are coinstar kiosks we get it however it would have been walmart that pulled the trigger on saying okay it's not like you can put something you know like your company and you've got some kind of kiosk in a walmart store you had to ask permission to do that if you make a change to that kiosk you're going to need permission you, I'm sorry, this is Walmart. You're not talking about Bob's backyard, you know, butcher. No, no, no. This is fucking Walmart. Every single thing that happens on every single square inch inside of every single Walmart is planned and managed. You don't just drop off a kiosk and then all of a sudden one day turn on its ability to buy Bitcoin without the people over there in Bentonsville, Arkansas saying yes. So, in fact, it is the case that Walmart did say, yes, they knew that it was going to happen. It's not an accident. It's not CoinMe and Coinstar doing it. It was literally Walmart saying, turn it on because they had to get their permission. Okay, <clears throat> let's see what's going on here. America's first Bitcoin ETF wants an exemption from trading restrictions. It's only been a week, guys. Robert Stevens has it for Decrypt. Less than a week after its blowout launch, ProShares wants to change the way it runs its new Bitcoin futures ETF. ProShare CEO Michael Sapper told Barron's that his firm has filed for an exemption from trading limits at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, where it purchases futures contracts for its Bitcoin ETF, and that ProShares will request permission to invest in other kinds of derivatives contracts. Bloomberg ETF analyst Eric Balchunas corroborated the news on Twitter, quote, Barron's article confirms what I've been hearing as well, that ProShares is filing to be exempt from CME position limits and they can use swaps if need be. Both would obviously be huge helps to maintain exposure if BITO keeps getting bigger. God damn, the CME caps the number of Bitcoin futures contracts that can expire in the same month, that's 2,000. ProShares can only hold 4,000 contracts for November and 5,000 contracts overall. ProShares holds 2,133 contracts for November and 1,679 contracts for October, or 76% of its limit. The ETF invests 25% of investors' cash in a Cayman Islands subsidiary and then instructs the subsidiary to buy Bitcoin futures on the CME. After launching on Tuesday, the ETF swelled to more than $1 billion in assets under management. And right now, ProShares invest the remaining 75% into treasury securities and the repo market. Oh, oh, ProShares also borrows money from the repo market to gain leverage on its investments. With this leveraged cash, ProShares invest in futures contracts, cash settled bets on the futures price of Bitcoin. The fund does this no matter the condition of the market. If Bitcoin's price goes up, ProShares profits from those bets. 
it would use those profits to make and borrow money from the money market to buy Bitcoin futures. If Bitcoin sinks, ProShares loses the cash settle bets in its pile of cash and Bitcoin exposure shrinks. Sapir told Barron's that ProShares is considering investing the remaining 75% in other things besides treasury or repo securities. It could invest in later dated contracts, swaps, or structured notes. ProShares described this in detail in a prospectus on Tuesday. The fund may, after consultation with the staff of the SEC, invest in other products that correlate with the price of Bitcoin plus other cryptocurrencies. ProShares also said it could invest in stocks that correlate with the cryptocurrency market, such as Bitcoin Miner Riot or MicroStrategy, the U.S. cloud computing firm that went gaga for Bitcoin about this time last year. So already one week into trading and the first Bitcoin ETF guys already want to change the rules. I mean, reading the story, it doesn't seem like that bad of a rule, you know, rule change, but still it's like these people, they just never get enough. And, you know, the only thing that I think it's okay to think that you never have enough of is Bitcoin. So, and possibly land. Okay. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm on that one now. This land. I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for lands, and I would, I like, I would like to have a lot more land, because I want to steward that land. And this brings me to a rather sad story, um, and it was, it was given to me by, um, oh, oh, uh, my man, modern T man, uh, showed me that. In the panhandle of Texas, which is, I don't know, probably about an hour north of me, there is a ranch, a very famous ranch called Turkey Tracks, I believe, Turkey Track Ranch. It's 80,000 acres of some of the most beautiful landscape you'll ever see. It's, even though that it's in the the Texas panhandle, which most people think is dry, and for the most part, you'd be right, we don't get a lot of rain here. This one has 28 miles of the Canadian River on its southeast border of this 80,000 acre property. It is lush. All of the water that falls on that ranch has to flow through the ranch to get to the Canadian River, which means that the entire ranch is a watershed. What that means is that any amount of rain that this ranch gets is going to be held by the ranch for, the, for as long as possible. There are ponds and streams and little rivulets and marshes and uh, there's wildlife and there's I mean it's 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 gorgeous. I won't I won't belabor that point. And the family that has held that land for 120 years is going to sell it for 200 million dollars, and it just makes me sick. I will never tell that family what they can or cannot do with their property. If they want to sell it, that's fine. But I do have my right to say that's a fucking stupid thing to do. Because you, if you work out the math, you know what that works out to? $2,500 an acre. That's cheap acreage. That's the kind of acreage that you get over there in like Alpine, Texas, where it never rains, okay? And they want $2,500 an acre for basically just crap. This is some of the most productive land I've ever seen in my entire life, and it's going for twenty-five hundred bucks an acre. Of course, you got to buy the whole damn thing, I guess. I, I'm hoping that they don't split it up, but it's just sad, you know. I mean, w- could you imagine being the grandchildren, uh, you know, and, and like, oh, I'm sixteen. It's like, uh, and I finally figure out that you could have been handed 80,000 acres of some of the most productive land in the world and, and, and been lucky enough to be a steward of that land. But your great grandparents wanted to sell it into fiat. Honestly, in 10 years, what's that $200 million going to buy? Cause they're never going to get this land back. It's never going to happen. That family has lost this land forever and ever and ever. And I had a discussion with my daughter about it at breakfast on Saturday. I mean, she's, you know, she's 12 now. And I showed her pictures of this land and she's 12 and she's like, they're selling it. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, why? And I'm like, that's the question. Why? Is it for the money? All the money in the world came out of land in the first place, except that shit that we're printing now, but it 
doesn't really add anything, does it? it? It causes inflation and it causes a cheapening of the money that we already do have. But all the money that we already do have that's becoming cheaper was gained from mineral rights, running cattle, farming, you name it. It didn't come from outer space, y'all. All the money that has ever existed, all the wealth that has ever existed in the world in whatever way you want to rate what wealth is, has come from the land. When you sell your land, you sell your legacy. There's, there's no more for, the, for this family. And it just, it, it really pains me. But it's coming up on an hour or so, I'm not going to cut to a joke or anything like that. But um, put the word in the street. Let's see if we can gather. It, I think it's going to take about 3,270 Bitcoin to purchase this particular thing. Do you think it's possible that maybe we could get enough Bitcoiners to throw in one Bitcoin? I'll do it. I'll, I will throw in one full Bitcoin. I will figure out a way. To, <laughs> I will figure out a way to do that. And if I can get 3,270 of y'all, we can buy that shit. And you know what that ends up being? Ends up being 25 acres per person that goes in on this. How would you like to have 25 acres of some of the most beautiful productive land ever. It can be yours for just one Bitcoin. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.